Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody on uh, this special day. Why? Because this is the day the Lord has made, right? And uh, we get to talk and sing about His amazing grace. My name is Carrie. I'm lead pastor of uh, The Awakening, and we're glad to have you here. I want to introduce you to a gentleman this morning. Would you please come up and give a warm welcome to Ed Drulliard. Some of you know Ed. He's been around here for a little bit, but Ed's been one of the key people that's been helping us do the renovations of this place as we've become the Awakening Church, and we still got a ways to go. But he's been knocking down walls. He's been building walls, been making messes and all kinds of things. But uh, I want you to know that uh, this is a special day, um, not just for Ed, but I believe for us as a body in Christ, because we get to celebrate God's amazing grace again this hour in His work in transforming people. People becoming fully alive in Christ and to his mission. Um, Ed is an example of what we're about as a church. And so Ed's going to be baptized today. Taking the good bath. <laughs> and uh, he gave his testimony in the first service. We didn't dunk him in the first service because we realized we forgot to hook up the water heater. And uh, so we thought we'd let the water get a little bit more tepid. Again, yeah, there we go. I wasn't here to yeah, you weren't here again on that decision, so that's great. But uh, we're going to have a chance to celebrate uh, his uh, life uh, coming alive in Christ through baptism. But I wanted Ed just to share briefly maybe some things that God's put on his journey in coming to this place. I know, Ed, we talked the other day that you uh, went to a Catholic church when you were a wee little person and uh, through grade school maybe, but after that you sort of disconnected and launched into those high school, young adult years and went here and there and some different kinds of directions. Pick it up from there. Directions that most people don't want to know. Yeah. So so I'm just going to start off saying thanks to my wife, Terry. I know she's over there somewhere. She brought me down this path to find the Lord, and it started with her about nine and a half years ago, nine years ago. Um, Wasn't a big follower until about three years ago. My littlest fell out a second story window. Earlier that week, a couple other kids did too, and they didn't make it. Mine did. I call him B-Man, so if you ever hear me talk about B-Man, he's my littlest. At that time, I was in a bad way. I was between my first and my second surgery on my back. I was pretty well strung out on drugs, pain pills the doctor had been prescribing to me for quite some time. After that, I got clean. My wife appreciated it a lot more, I'll tell you. (laughs) Um, After that, I kind of realized that God's hit me in the back of the head. Not once, but then he hit me again a little later with work getting back into work. He showed me that I can do it. And then he took it away from me again, put me through another trial. So I've had a third back surgery. After that, we decided to, uh, I'm going to give it one more go around. So I rebuilt the church with Carrie, Pastor Jeremy. This is a little rebuild. I didn't make my date, but I'm going to make this one for sure. (laughs) Beyond that, I can't wait. Ed, you, uh, he did, he put, he, we, he came to me um, oh, yeah. the first teardown time and sort of put this date on it. So we are making this date, even though we're continuing to move out the building thing. In but fact, when I hit him up on it, <laughs> I asked him to do me the honor. He says, you know, it's Palm Sunday. I said, don't matter, it's my day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he didn't know that. This isn't Palm Sunday. This is Ed Drulliard's day. Yeah, so it is his now. day. So, Actually, as you came up to me and uh, when you said, hey, we need to talk, that kind of thing, and I think you put it this way. He says, I am tired of crying in services. i got to get this done. 
Here we are. But I think, um, Ed, you had made a decision to follow Christ when you were part of a men's group. You went through first steps three different times, and you made a commitment to Christ there. But then it was at a men's retreat where you still doubted your salvation. I mean, this all applies to sort of sort of the defining moment of today. Uh, tell us about what happened at the men's retreat with Josh after you had made a, a point of committing your life so, to Christ in the men's groups. Two years ago, it's been about a year after Blake, uh, I was sitting in... At the men's well, let's go back a little further. Let's go back when I was sitting in men's re- or Wednesday night men's group, and one night I was sitting there. And everybody was happy and ecstatic about reading the, the word. Right as we were getting ready to disband for the night until the following week, and I picked up the book and I just held it and squeezed it, and I just told everybody, "I'm jealous. You understand this, and I can't." And at that moment. Josh, somewhere out there, he asked me if I've ever taken the Lord in. I said no. So they all put me in, a, in the, the hula hoop. We used to do the hula hoop. And I accepted Christ. And after that, a year or so went by, and we were at, I rode up again with Josh to men's retreat. And uh, he asked me a pretty good word. He asked me if I felt like I was going to heaven. And I said no, because I'm a sinner, and I've sinned real hard in my lifetime. And he told me otherwise. And ever since then, I've been taking a better step and looking more and more in the right way instead of the sinful, ugly ways I used to. If I recall, Josh shared with you at the men's retreat the whole thing of struggling with the assurance of your salvation. Maybe you're a follower of Christ and you've struggled with that. I remember in my early years, I struggled with that. Oh my goodness, if I was to die, would you know, I go to heaven kind of deal for sure. And so much of that is because we focus on who we are and what we're doing or not doing, rather than focusing on who Christ is and what he has done for us. So it's not what we do, it's what he has, D-O-N-E, done. And Josh, that was a great word to share with Ed because that moves us past some of those haunting doubts because Christ said for sure, you know, know, if you receive me, if you confess me, if you choose to follow me, you are saved, you are redeemed. And so uh, the enemy attacks even after that. And we continue to try to grow in our faith and we will stumble and fall as surely as a little kid who falls when they're trying to learn to walk, right? But that should never, ever bring into question our adoption as a son or as a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we step into this baptism tank this morning, this is another defining moment to say the deal's done. Now, I don't know if it's going to keep you from crying during services or not, but it's another defining moment that says, Uh, You're proclaiming to your friends and your family, I am with the Lord Jesus, and he is my Savior. Exactly. There's a couple, three people that you're going to have come and just sort of stand behind you. We're very mindful when anybody comes to new life in Christ, it's not just in a vacuum. Someone else has been influential in their life. So you have three people that you want to join you uh, up here as you get baptized, right? Yep. Who are they? Smith, Josh Hexine, and my wife. Mike, Josh, and Terry. If you guys just stand back in here and support, and we'll let Ed check out the water. Yeah. You know, they baptized in the Jordan River, and I don't think the Jordan was all that warm sometimes either, so we're good. We're good.
I build the tanks this way for a reason. <laughs> that's great. That's great. All right. Ed Rilliard, because of your profession of faith and Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is our privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It has been a good day already. Are you ready to jump into His Word? Isn't it a cool experience to know that the Lord Jesus Christ meets us wherever two or three are gathered in His name and that He could be speaking to you in the next few moments and you didn't even expect Him to do it this morning? That would be my prayer. Will you join me? Jesus, may Your Spirit have its way on this special day. Lord, not only a special day for Ed and his baptism that we just walked through, Lord, but a special day because you are in our presence and we get to worship you. We get to do this. Lord, may you speak to us in this hour for your glory and your glory alone. Amen. Well, it is Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Passion Week. And Passion Week is not only just, oh, that's sort of an important day because, well, that's what church people do. Friends, Passion Week and the events that unfolded and the entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Monday, Thursday, the Last Supper. Good Friday, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the Lord on Easter Sunday morning is the pivotal event in all of history. It'll be known that into the eons of time after there's a new heaven and a new earth. We'll look back to that week when Jesus Christ was obedient to God the Father and His will and the world 
was changed and transformed. And we are only here because of the obedience of Jesus Christ in that week for 2,000 years ago. Now, I am always uh, taken back by the events of Passion Week and trying to think through, well, you know, how much you know, uh, ceremony should you put into it? How much of it is perfunctory? How much of it is ritual? How much of it authentic? That kind of thing. And uh, I remember as a child on Palm Sunday, which is what this day is, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, a lot of times they'd do the little palm branches. Now, you've got to understand, back in Indiana, in the Midwest, it was hard to find a palm branch. <laughs> and I thought coming here this morning that I should get a palm branch because there's palms around here all the time. And I forgot to do it on my way in. But somebody, Robert, actually, during service, he says, you want me to go home and cut you a palm branch? And I said, sure, you cut me a palm branch. I'm thinking a little, little palm branch, you get to come in, right? And so he comes hauling in this thing between service. That's why I went waving it like that. Now this is a palm branch, right? So if we're going to celebrate the Passion Week and it being Palm Sunday, this needs to be the visual. And this is what they were doing. They were waving their palms and laying them down in front of Jesus as He entered into Jerusalem because they wanted to prepare the way for their Messiah, the person they proclaimed as the King who would set them free. And so I want us to take a look at some of the Scripture related to Palm Sunday, in particular the one that's found in John. I'm going to look at a couple others or reference a couple others at least. And it says this, In John 12, 12 through 15, the next day the crowd that had come from the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and set upon it, and it's written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. Donkey's colt. Now, you got to get into it. You got to visually see it. They declared Hosanna. And we're going to talk about that word Hosanna in a little bit, but I want to use the word Hosanna as part of our worship this morning, doing a festal shout. You ever done what a festal shout is? Well, stand up, stand up, first service. Yep. You, you got it? So you got it coming. <clears throat> now, we are going to, uh, usually I use the word hallelujah for a festal shout. Hallelujah is the the only word that's the same word in all languages. And it's a word of praise and declaration to God. But we're going to use the word Hosanna this morning and talk about it, all right? So to do a festival shout, you've got to take three deep breaths. Ready? Here we go. One. Then I feel good. Two. Oh, you should have done that earlier today. It would have woken you up, right? One last one. All right, your lungs are full. I am going to re- uh, say the word Hosanna. I want you to repeat the word Hosanna nice and strong. Then I'm going to say it again. I want it to be up a notch or two. And then we're going to say it a third time. You're going to repeat after me. And I want it off the top of the charts. All right? So really, you got your lungs going. We're going to do good. Festival shout here. Here we go. Palm branch in hand. I'm going to be waving it. All right. Hosanna. 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 You're doing good. All right. Now, why do we just do that? God, well, he's worthy. I hope you didn't do it because, well, the pastor made us do it. Palm Sunday. That, that's significant, isn't it, honey? I get one of those in our backyard sometime. 
That, yeah, construction paper is how we made them in the old days. Anyway, the word Hosanna is a word that I trust you'll walk out of here with a different understanding and meaning of, and that you'll participate in this Passion Week in a spirit of worship and praise, declaring the honor that is due His name. Now, this passage that we looked at, there's two sections here referencing Scripture of the Old Testament. I want to take a second a look at the latter part where it says, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. It is written. It is written. What does it mean, it is written? Well, let's go back to Zechariah. In Zechariah, you find these words. Rejoice, O daughter, greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you in righteousness and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Now, friends, this passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Hebrews, had been around for a long time. And if you were a Jewish Hebrew person, you would know passages such as this. You would have learned to memorize them maybe even. And here's Jesus shows up, his entrance into Jerusalem on this incredible week, and he grabs a hold of something that they've all known. And he basically puts himself in the story on the donkey. Now, they didn't quite understand this all, Scripture says in John, until after all the events. But then they began to look back and went, oh my goodness, Jesus, this Jesus was fulfilling these Scriptures. And so now let's go back to that John passage. And in John, where it said, you know, in referencing that, it also said before that that they declared the hosannas that you just had this festival shout on. Well, this passage also is reflected back in the Old Testament. They were putting themselves in the story, and I don't even know if they knew. It was all unfolding in a prophetic way, a fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, it's one of the reasons to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't have all the statistics with me this morning, but the number of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, in particular in the Passion Week, it's astronomical. And the odds of a person doing that are so far off the charts that it's unbelievable. Except that he was the fulfillment of the Old Testament prediction of a Messiah who would come and change and transform the world. But this particular one, this Hosanna one, harkens back to a psalm we'll look back in a second. But the word Hosanna, that's the English word, Hosanna, we know that the New Testament was written not in English, right? It was written in, written in Greek. So the English translation, uh, Hosanna, comes from, do you know what Greek word it is? Hosanna. <laughs> they just took H-O-S-A-N-N-A and they put it in English. But you know what? Do you know where the Greek word came from? It came from the Hebrew word. And you know what it was? They were just translating Hosanna. But they took this Hebrew word, and I think I got this right. I'm not a student of Hebrew, so you have to give me grace. Maybe you are. Hosanna. And so they took the word Hosanna that 
appeared only one place in all the Old Testament, and it was in Psalm 118. Let's look at Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says this. It says, O say, O Lord, save us. That is Hoshiana. That's where the word comes from. O Lord, save us. O Lord, save us, it says. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Wait wait a second here. Verse 27, with the bows in hand. Those means branches. With branches in hand, they join into a festal procession up to the house of the altar, up to the temple. What were they doing? In Jesus' day, they were again fulfilling this prophecy of bows and branches in hand, and they were declaring a festal shout, and they were saying, Hoshiana! 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 This is the psalmist. Hundreds of thousands years before. And here's Jesus, beginning of Passion Week. And it's all unfolding in sort of a twilight zone kind of experience. But they didn't understand what was going on. Now, this word Hoshiana is an interesting word. Hoshiana is basically a plea. It's a plea that says, Lord, save us. Please save us. Now, if I took you before you knew how to swim and threw you in a swimming pool, and you were a Hebrew back in that day, I probably didn't have swimming pools, they had rivers, right? you might very well be flopping in the water and crying out, Hoshiana! 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 Save me! Save me, Lord! Somebody save me! But something strange happened between the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures and then in the New Testament. This word Hoshiana, which, friends, it only appeared in this one place in Psalm 118. Now, in the New Testament, in the different synoptic Gospels, you have uh, Hosanna, uh, son of David, they were declaring, as it says in one gospel. Another gospel says, Hosanna in the highest, all right? And then we just had the word Hosanna by itself in John. They were using this word to, to declare, Lord, save us kind of idea. Uh, uh, Lord, save us, son of David, the king. Lord, save us, uh, you know, Hosiannas of the heavens are declaring it. But the Hosiana that's referenced in the New Testament was a different kind of understanding. It had grown through the years. Instead of saying, Hoshiana, Lord, save us, it was this declaration of a Savior. So it was worship. It's adoration. It was a proclamation. Um, it would be like if you were thrown in the pool and you thought you were drowning in the Old Testament version of Hosanna, it would be, um, help me, save me. But in a New Testament version, it would be like you come up out of the water and you see the lifeguard there. And so the lifeguard's ready to, and, and so then you say, Hosiana, Hosiana, because he's my savior, right? Are you going to help me out of the water? Uh, for you football people, let me help you a little bit here. A little bit different analogy. Pull the guys in, all right? Uh, let's pretend it's Super Bowl instead of the blowout game that, that really wasn't a game that we experienced with the Seahawks and Broncos. Let's, let's say it was a close game at the end, all right? And so the Seahawks are ahead by um, three points. 
and uh, Peyton Manning and the Broncos are on the, uh, you know, their own 35-yard line. And so uh, that's a dangerous thing. End of game, some time left with Peyton Manning normally behind the line. And so uh, the, the Seahawks fans are going wild, which they always go wild, right? And so they're excited. They're going to win, and this thing's going to come. And so uh, Peyton Manning, uh, they hiking the ball, and, and he rolls out to the left. He's got it stacked with receivers over there. They're taking off. Everybody's talking, okay, where's it going to go? And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, uh, Demarius Thomas, the, uh, the all-pro uh, receiver for the Broncos, had, had slipped out to the right, and he's wide open. He's in the clear, man. And, and Peyton throws him the ball. You know, and there's the announcer. He's caught it. He's on the 35. He's on the 40. He's on the 45. He's a 50, right? Oh, and the crowd's freaking out this time. They're yelling, screaming, going on. I mean, just a few seconds. It's the last play of the game. What's going to happen? And, well, the Broncos, they had their Thomas, but the Seahawks have their Thomas, too. His name's Earl Thomas, right? He's, he's, he's the all-pro um, free safety. And Earl Thomas takes off beeline in him. He has the angle. He has the angle in Demarius Thomas. And everybody in the stands, they see what's going to happen, right? And there's shouts and, and there's cheers going on. And, and so Tom, Thomas upon Thomas, right? And down and towards the end of the game. Well, version one of Hosanna. There's, there's some Seahawk people proclaiming Hosannas in version one. And version one is catch him. Catch him. Oh, catch him. Right? That's version one. Version two, this is the New Testament version of Hosanna, is, you got him! You got him! You got him! You got him! <laughs> all right? So there's a difference, right? One is a cry, all right? And one is confidence. One is a plea, and one is a praise. And so the Old Testament version of Hosanna was a plea, Lord, save us. But the New Testament version was, <laughs> you got us. You got us. You're the Savior. Hosanna. We declare Him as the Savior. I'm not going to pull up the palm branch again, but you can see it in your head, right? It's going on. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And so the angels are declaring it. The history is declaring it. This is the one that has been promised. This is your King. And so we celebrate this. 2,000 years later, that we live on the victory side of the king. I have a question for you. Where are you at in your faith concerning Jesus? Is it, oh, I hope. Oh, save me, Lord, please. I, pray. I, need, I need help. Right? Or is it the confidence, I have a Savior and I have a king? You see, Ed, when you were baptized, you're declaring the New Testament version of Hosanna. When Josh was talking with you at men's retreat, do you know if you die, you go to heaven? He said, I don't think so. That was the Old Testament version of Hosanna. Oh, Lord, save me. I think so. I made a decision in a group, and I just don't know where it's at. But something, something, my friend, happened in your soul. And it's not only Ed, but it's in your life as well. When you move from a desperate plea to a place of praise, concerning the work of King Jesus in your life, you're a markedly different man, a different woman, a different child, and the trajectory of your life will be different. And can I say this also for us as a church, being our second week of the awakening? We do not minister and labor towards victory. We minister and labor from victory. 
Oh God, is this going to work? We're doing all these changes and name change, and what you know? We're praying, trying to you know, got new staff here, there. No, it's not about us. It's about the victory that's been won in Christ. And when we come and we worship and we praise Him and we declare our hosannas, stay in the New Testament camp. That version's better than the other version. We will praise and declare Him each and every week. And as you are encouraged or as you invite your friends, we come and we celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why? Because we live on this side of Passion Week of when they declared Jesus to be their King. How about you? How about you? Something happened though in that week that's hard to explain. It's hard to explain because things turned. There was so much celebration on that entrance into Jerusalem, but then Passion Week, it, it headed south so fast, people became discouraged. They were disappointed. They were disgruntled. Some people were frustrated. Some people abandoned Him. And before we know it, we're walking into Good Friday and the crucifixion and everything that happened there. I want us to look at that triumphant entry passage as recorded in Luke. In Luke it says this, When he came near the place, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hearkening back to the psalm, right? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's great. But I think there's a little bit of an indication here of what was going on in the minds of the people declaring the praise of Jesus with the palms that day, it says, in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Could it be they were proclaiming His as King and Messiah, not because of who He was as much as what He had been doing? And when He stopped doing some of the things they thought He should be doing as the Messiah, they started to say, I'm out. I'm out. You see, they thought a Messiah would establish a sort of a political reign, a political spiritual reign. The Romans, they uh, were controlling the environment of that day. They, they were the, the big deal, not only in town, but in the countries around. And so they wanted to get out from this oppression of the Roman people. So with Jesus coming in, hey, hey, Hosanna, our King of Kings. Hey, this is it, man. This is it. Watch it, watch out. You just wait and see, just wait and see what he does this week. Now, the drama that unfolded was not uncommon for that. In fact, it's interesting. It was Passover week. It was Jewish Passover they were coming into. And these kinds of things would happen where people would show up at Passover and sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm it. Whether it was a Messiah or a king. Or, all right. And so the Roman guards were sort of used to this. And they were all standing there probably as this was happening. And here's Jesus. I mean, what's he riding on a colt for? Any, I mean, a donkey for anyway. I mean, that's not much of a king, right? Kings, war kings, they ride on horses. White horses, Right? Today they fly on 747s. If you're going to be big, Jesus comes in because in his mind it's a different way. It's a different deal. They didn't quite understand that. The Romans didn't, but they knew that these people were excited about this guy. Now there's another time there was a Passover. There was a guy named the name of Thaddeus, I think, is Theodos. And he came into town and he rallied a bunch of people around him during Passover week. And they went outside Jerusalem and he was going to be doing the miracles of Elijah, he said. 
And the Romans got concerned with the crowds that were following him. They went out and slaughtered 400 of his followers and then took him, cut his head off, put it on a stick and brought it back and set it up in sort of the marketplace area, in the temple area, saying this is what happens to people who think that they're a Messiah or a king. So Jesus riding in on a donkey, receiving accolades of being king. The crowds all worked up. They say there might be upwards of 500,000 people were in Jerusalem at that time because of the Passover week. Everybody flocks there. I mean, this was the big deal. That's a lot of people. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of tension. What's going on? A lot of expectation being ported in from all the ancient history. What's going to happen? And then Jesus slowly begins to disappoint them. Because they didn't understand that his way was a different kind of way. And we're going to look at that a little bit more on Good Friday. But, friends, Jesus did not come to topple the political systems of the day. Or even the religious institutions of the day. Jesus came to establish a new way of humility and brokenness and deal with the spiritual realm of where men, uh, mankind has fallen. And that is in the heart. And so when he died on the cross, was raised from the grave, he dealt with with the kingdom inside. When he comes again, he will establish a visible external kingdom, but it was not understood that there would be two comings of the Messiah. We live in between the times. We declare the Hosannas. Do we do it wimpy with fear? No. We do it with confidence, but we also know we still live in a broken and fallen world, and one of these days all will be made right when he comes again, our King Jesus. But could it be that little sentence, all the miracles they had seen, sort of sets up some of the prediction of what then began to happen. You see, what began to happen was Jesus started articulating a different kind of story. This is before Pilate. Before Pilate and before his condemnation, we find these words in John 18. Pilate came to him and says, you know, what are you here for? Your religious leaders, they threw you up here. They say you've done something wrong. They want me to convict you. They want me to kill you. They say that you're a king. Are you a king? He answers Pilate this way. I don't know about you. It's one of those moments again where I was like, man, I wish I could have been in the room. I wanted to see his face. You know, was his face like just sort of placid and calm? Or, or was he saying it with a smirk on his face? Or, or maybe did he have a gleam and a fire in his eye when he looked and penetrated into Pilate? I think probably the latter, in my opinion. So, are you a king? Jesus answered. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I'm a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And what did Pilate say after that? Ah! Ah! What is truth? Why? He wasn't interested in truth. He's interested in power. So true today, isn't it? Not just power, but all kinds of things. Be a lover of truth. A lover of truth. And here's Jesus before Pilate, and he's trying to explain some graduate school stuff to a kid in elementary. He says, you don't understand. Yes, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this realm. 
What was this realm, the world? It was the political and the spiritual institutions of that day. You take the hierarchy, the chief priest and all that was going on there, and I tell you what, politics and religion is ugly. It's uglier than anything. And then you had the politics of the, uh, of the war machine of Rome, right? That combined together, he is saying, my kingdom is not of this realm that everybody else is dealing with. My kingdom is of another realm. Of a spiritual heavenly realm, yes, but a realm that was present. Because the kingdom he was about establishing was his kingship in the hearts and the lives of people. A few weeks ago, Bill Malik talked about the whole King Jesus thing. And, and the whole, uh, uh, you watched the video of S.M. Lockridge, I think. And he is our king. Remember how excited that kind of thing was? Yeah, he is our king. Well, I tell you what, Jesus is not backing down from that at all. But it's the concept of what you think of a king that you have to bring into question. And he was saying, my kingship is an internal kingdom. It will be a visible kingdom someday, but he came to bring about his kingdom. My kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe were the first words that Jesus has spoken. We've talked about that before, back last fall. So here he is, before Pilate, trying to articulate that there is truth and that there's people who understand truth that follow him. Apparently, Pilate didn't want to be one of those. Now, if you remember, Pilate's wife was scared to death of this whole decision because she had a dream. He said, don't touch that man, Pilate. Everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. Does that sound familiar with some of the things we've referenced in the last few weeks? We talked about the speaking voice, the yielding soul. Last week, remember, we talked about the good shepherd and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Jesus is calling people to himself. And those who are of the truth and interested in ultimate kingdom reality hear his voice and begin walking towards him. Testimony of that this morning. Wayward life going in a lot of different directions. Encouragement from a spouse. But in the midst of all of it was the spirit of Jesus Christ speaking. In fact, Ed and I, we talked a little bit this week about some of your time working here at night by yourself. And you felt the presence, the presence of God. Weird, huh? You can worship by doing construction. Whether in word or deed, whatever you do, do it unto me. The Spirit's voice speaks, and those who want to follow pursue Him. We talked about it last week. And then in the middle of that whole passage on the Good Shepherd was this highlight verse. Remember the highlight verse? Jesus saying, I have come, in John 10.10, I have come that you, that they may have life and have it to the full. It's almost that's what he was saying with Pilate. Dude, you don't get it. I am the truth. I am here that people may have life and have it to the full. But it's not life like you think life is. Full of power and popularity and the ability to have notoriety and everything. No. Life is being able to live in truth, experience truth, propagate truth, sing hosannas to the one who is the word, the way, the truth, and the life. If you want this morning, and you have not yet, you can be a follower of the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But you've got to listen to his voice, whether in a service like this, or the still small voice, or, yeah, it's my conscience thinking that. I think, well, maybe not. Or pull out your words. Start to read the scriptures. Ask someone to help you with the scriptures. Download an app. version's a good one. 
let God begin to speak to you because His Spirit does speak to us. But what He's going to speak to you about is not the fame, popularity, wealth, and success and all that. He's going to say, are you willing to be a part of my flock and be one of my sheep? I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd laid down His life. We talked last week with this verse that we as a church, if we're to be awakened, that we have to be awakened to become fully alive in Christ by embracing the person of Jesus. By embracing the person of Jesus in four ways. Remember? Redeeming Savior, abiding sanctifier, transforming healer, and coming King. You embrace Him. But I want to share with you this morning that it's not only that you need to become fully alive in Christ, that you also need to become fully alive to His mission. We've talked about this for a number of weeks, but I just want to highlight it here on this Palm Sunday. What was in Jesus' mind right on that donkey heading into town? I have an eternal calling is what was on his mind. My eternal calling is to be faithful to the Father's will. To be faithful to the Father's will means I'm going to lay down my life. My life, I'm going to be taken back up, he prophesied. But the crucifixion and all that stood before him, he knew. He was on mission. Mission from the Father. If you want to be a fully alive, fully awakened person, it's not only do you come into a salvation relationship with Jesus, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but you begin to serve His purposes in all dimensions. And as you begin to serve His purposes in all dimensions, you begin to experience your eternal calling. And there's nothing more exciting than to be a part of a transcendent cause that goes beyond us and to embrace it. Now, it doesn't mean you change vocations. It means that you take all of your life in the place that you are and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we as a church, second weekend, rebranding underneath the name, the Awakening, what we're about is about seeing you come fully alive in Christ, seeing your friends, your relatives, your work associates, your neighbors coming fully alive in Jesus, embracing Him as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and coming King, but also that you are going to come fully alive to His mission. To His mission. Becoming fully alive to His mission by advancing the kingdom of God every day. Becoming fully alive to His mission by advancing the kingdom of God every day. Advancing the kingdom of God, that's sort of a big word. What's that mean? King Jesus. Hoshiana. Hoshiana. You're going to take King Jesus and you're going to move him into your everyday experience of life and you are going to serve his purposes on this earth. That's what it means. In other words, you do get a new job. You do get a new job. Now, what was Jesus doing when he came to this earth? Well, there's one time he stood up in the synagogue. He took an Old Testament scripture. He was doing that all the time, right? He threw it into the New Testament world and he says, heads up, here's what's going on. And we find this verse in Isaiah. Well, it's in Isaiah. He comes back and he declares it in Luke. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Jesus standing up. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, this has been fulfilled today in your midst. And they're going, what? He can't can't do that. I mean, these are one of the reasons that he got put on a cross. They were like... That's blasphemous. He's proclaiming to be God. Yeah, and the religious heat of the day said this, this can't be allowed. We've got to do away with it. 
But if you're going to become alive to his mission, guess what? You're taking on the mission of King Jesus. And King Jesus, that's what he's about. That he's come to be able to preach good news to the poor. And you can fill in your definition of poor, but it all runs the gamut. It may be poor in spirit. It may be poor financially. It may be poor in uh, character. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for people who are caught up, captive, prisoners. We heard about an addiction to pain medications today, right? That God helped free someone up. Prisoners to all kinds of addictive kinds of things. And recovery of sight for the blind, those who can't see, even spiritually can't see, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, in this work with King Jesus, there is supernatural work that goes on and never hold back that God can't do today what He did then. Nothing has changed since the resurrection. His power is still available today. But the purpose of miracles is to point people to the glory of God. And so there always has to be a purpose in the miracles that Jesus is doing and it's His timing and His way. But there may be supernatural things, but I tell you what, some of the most consistent, faithful works are those that are humble, servanthood kind of works. Yesterday in this room, we had a funeral for Helen Huber, who passed away. Sometimes she would sit over here. She was uh, Kimmy's mom. And... uh, Kimmy took care of her for three years in her home. She was hard of hearing. She'd be the person sometimes say, what did he say? <laughs> we remembered her life and rejoiced in the hope that we have because of the power of the resurrection. But different family members said great words of appreciation for Kim and for Ron because they faithfully served Helen for three years in her home before she passed away. That's the power of serving King Jesus by being there. So I don't care what it is, the assignment that God gives you. If you're going to sign up to be fully alive, to be a part of an awakening, then you're going to be fully alive and embracing Jesus Christ, Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, and you're going to embrace the mission of King Jesus. And it's going to look many times like what you just saw from that verse. I want to say this because um, I know that we have tough weeks sometimes in life that you have to spend um, can be very laborious in your jobs. God's gifted you and called you in your place of work, maybe. Maybe you're looking for something else. I don't know. But know this, that your calling is above whatever you do vocationally. And if you're trying to find your self-worth in your vocation, it will run its course at some point. There is a higher calling, and that's to serve the King. And that's what I want to challenge you to concerning your eternal calling today. There's the story told of Steve Jobs when he approached Steve Scully. Some of you might know this. Steve Scully was a president of Pepsi, PepsiCo. He was vice president. He worked his way up and became president of PepsiCo. This was back in the 80s. Steve Jobs of Apple approached Steve Scully to become CEO of Apple. And Steve Jobs, in his attire of his jeans and his turtleneck and his tennis shoes, the story is told he's looking down and talking to John Scully, trying to get him to talk to leave PepsiCo and come to work for Apple. And here's the legendary quote that Steve Jobs told to John Scully that worked. It's this. Steve, I mean, John, do you want to sell sugar water for the rest of your life? Or do you want to come with me and change the world? Do you like that? Well, John Scully left PepsiCo. He became CEO of Apple. as one of their stronger seasons because of products in many ways, maybe, but in the season of time. But he was a success. But I want you to know that King Jesus comes to you, and he's not saying quit your job. 
Somebody's saying, hey, that's sugar water. Come with me and help change the world. And so we enlist ourselves in His kingdom work. And we choose to lay our life down, to become fully alive in Him, but to His mission. And so here on Mission Sunday, you don't think of it as Mission Sunday, Palm Sunday, right? Waving the palm branches. What's Jesus doing? He is being faithful to the mission. Do you think He wanted to go through all that whipping and that torture? Humanly, no. But He chose to be on mission. He fulfilled the Old Testament Scriptures getting on that donkey. He came in knowing all the accolades, knowing people would misunderstand Him, knowing people would turn against Him and say, crucify Him, crucify Him. Isn't that incredible? We'll talk about that Friday. Hosanna, Hosanna. And then a few days later, crucify, crucify. What in the world's going on? But He was faithful to that mission no matter what. And I want to challenge you. If you want to be awakened, be awakened to embrace Jesus, but also be awakened to forward His kingdom work. And I want to give you four words as we move to a close. These four words have to do with how I believe you are going to advance the kingdom of God every day. You're going to advance the kingdom of God every day through the presence of Jesus. Through the presence of Jesus. Now, I think I should have changed your note sheet there. I laid one of those little carrot things. And I want you to put the word, the presence of King Jesus. Okay? Jesus, if you're a follower of Him, dwells in you. And if He dwells in you, then His presence is wherever you go. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, Scripture says, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. So the presence of King Jesus goes with you in this mission. Secondly is the power of King Jesus. There's two verses I rec- reference here. The first comes from Acts 1.8, which we've looked at several times. But you will receive power, Jesus said before his ascension, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all kinds of places. The power is there. The power for holy living, the power for vibrant witness, to be a bold witness, to be a faithful servant when you grow weary. So there's the presence of King Jesus, the power of King Jesus. Then I want to encourage you to stay abiding in the, presence, in the people of King Jesus. There's this verse um, that's found, and there was that 2 Timothy 1.7 verse there also for the power of Jesus. But the people of King Jesus, there's this passage in Revelation 5, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from God, for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Friends, this is articulations about the end times. This is your identity. You are a part of a people from every language and tribe and nation, and you are referenced as a kingdom and a priest to serve God. This is your identity. You're not selling sugar water. So own the mission. Be faithful to the mission. Step into the mission. The presence of King Jesus, the power of King Jesus, the people of King Jesus, do it together as teams like we talk about with missional communities. But then the fourth is the proclamation of King Jesus. And the proclamation of King Jesus you saw here this morning in Ed's testimony, there will be times where you need to share the words and not just live the life. Be bold. Hoshiana. Hoshiana. Yesterday, we had a busy day yesterday. We also had a men's breakfast here yesterday morning. Had close to 50 people. Right, G.J.? That's great. 
G.J. came up here and he shared his testimony as a proclamation to work Jesus Christ is doing in his life and his family. That was a bold move. But the Lord calls us to be proclaimers of him. It's interesting. I hope you don't mind me sharing this, G.J., but a few weeks back, I put a piece of tape on the floor concerning the mission. Are you in? Remember that? And some of you crossed that line, I'm in. It was after that service, G.J. came up to me and he said, I need to be doing something for God. I need to serve. And I would like to do something with the men's group and see if we can get a breakfast back together. And yesterday was a direct result, G.J., of you saying, I am going to be fully alive on mission. And you took initiative. And with a group of others, I, I didn't do anything. I just came. I just sat in the back. It was pretty cool. I love that kind of thing. Dan and Kathy Allen, you guys opening your home for Easter next week, that's a step of obedience to be on mission, to build oikos and friendship. They just approached me and said, do you think this is a wacky idea or not? We've done it before. Just open up our home. Anybody wants to come, RSVP, Easter dinner in the backyard. Think we can pack them in. Being obedient to the mission, to build relationships and encourage people. Yesterday at men's meeting, Dave Axine stood up and he said, God's been laying on my heart and Don's heart for us to do a new missional community for business owners, people who own their own business, and to do it as couples. I'll start it maybe next month or something. I love those kinds of things, friends, because that's the, that's the voice of King Jesus speaking to you about what to do on mission. And we're not in competition with one another, friends. We do this together, but he's moving out and he's calling us to be a church fully alive in Christ and to his mission. If we're going to brand ourselves the Awakening Church, then we better bring our best game every week in worship, and in service. Amen? We invite the worship team to come up and we have a closing song and then there's a video I want you to watch after that and then we're done. I want to take us back to Psalm 118 though, if we can. Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hoshiana, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. And then it says in verse 28, You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. The worship team is going to be singing a song called, This is Our God. I want you to enter into worship. If you've never crossed that line of faith and committed to follow Jesus Christ, you can do that right in the middle of a song and just yield your heart to the voice that's speaking and say, King Jesus, come reign in my life as King. Maybe you need to lay down your life to serve the King. Maybe you're reluctant. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're saying, I need His presence. I need His power. I want to deal with other people. Oh, I don't know. That proclamation thing is just scary. You ask the Lord in this worship if He will give you His strength to do what's set before you this very week because we are mission. Easter's coming. We have a great week to celebrate hope, to set the captives free. Let's worship the Lord together. They're going to receive the tithes and offerings as well as your communication cards and then watch the video when they're done.